Okay, welcome to Ask Alex episode 202 on the OneOuter.com podcast. Follow us on Twitter at OneOuter.com and join the Facebook group, facebook.com slash group slash OneOuter. This episode and all of the previous episodes are on OneOuter.com website and via iTunes for free. If you want to send questions in for Alex on a future show, then please email questions at OneOuter.com or you can tweet them or post them on the Facebook group. Alex, episode 202, you are here. Uh, I have some house notes that uh, do need to be said. Um, The first one is, I don't know, do the listeners want the bad news or the good news first? Let's give them the bad news. Um, I, I I like doing that. This, for all you regular listeners who can't wait to download a new episode every week, and message me and say, why is the show not out on a Thursday? Like, <laughs> 20 minutes past eight. The, the real fans, the real lovers. Um, this is going to be the last show of 2018. Um, myself and Alex are taking December off. December's a really busy time for me anyway, but also um, I'm going to spend a lot more time doing some family stuff and Christmas build-up and things like that. So we're going to take December off. So that'll give you all a chance to catch up for some of you guys who just started this year and are only at episode 78 and stuff like that and gives you a few weeks without new new shows popping up on your uh, podcast feed, whether it's iTunes or Stitcher or whatever. So we are planning on returning in the new year and it may be a new format. We might go back to once a month um, or... We might do the weekly. I don't know. I need to see what's happening with some other bits and pieces. Uh, But we will be back in the new year in some shape or form. The good news now is on the last show, I mentioned the Alex's new book and exploitative uh, play in live poker, Alex. Is that it? Good enough for me. Good enough. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Alex's new book. Uh, he was talking about that, and I said I'm going to give away a copy of that to one listener. And um, we've had lots of entries already on Twitter. Although it is funny, I said, follow me on Twitter at oneouter.com. That's O N E O U T E R D O T C O M. And hashtag Ask Alex. And some people have done everything, and some people don't have the hashtag of Ask Alex, etc. So it's funny how even when you give instructions, human beings uh, do selectively listen. But don't worry, if you haven't, I'll still enter you in. You won't be judged unfairly if you haven't used the hashtag. Um, That was just a way for me to keep track of the competition entries. So the competition is still open. And keep tweeting in at oneouter.com. And please, if you can, hashtag AskAlex. And all you need to do, there's no question or trivia. Just say why you deserve to win a copy of the book. And the good news of that is there's now two copies available to win because our longtime friend and listener of the show, Dennis Peterson, has contributed to like pay it forward and he's offered to send another copy to another listener as well. Um, so that was a really nice gesture. So there's now two copies available and he says I get to pick as well the, the winner for his one that he's given away. So there is two copies of Alex's book. Alex, you're not going to have any to sell at this rate. <laughs> I guess not. And hey, I'll give away a copy too. So there will be three of them. And thank you, Dennis. That's a very sweet gesture. I really appreciate that. 
all right, there's three. So now my initial gesture just looks like you, you know, your kind heart and Dennis's kind heart just makes me look like, you know, I was looking like a hero just giving that away myself. Now. <laughs> all, all seriousness, uh, there is three copies now of the book to be won. So I think there was maybe around about 20 entries when I, I've been saving them away. It's like screenshotting so nobody gets lost. So, yeah, keep entering. There's three copies now, so good chance to win one. And uh, I'll have a look through them in December. And I think I said 20th of December was the cutoff. I think whatever the details were, I'll post them up in the show notes of this episode as well uh, for the cutoff date. And then I'll choose one and then uh, get in touch with the three winners now. Um, Alex, what's been happening with you? Anything else uh, happening? What's your plans coming up? Hey guys, uh, just another beautiful day of uh, running the best business in the world. Uh, I don't mean that sarcastically. I'm really enjoying running this thing right now. Things are picking up for me, so I'm pretty happy. There's The book just came out. I did a lecture with Jonathan Little, which is a big deal because Jonathan Little, when he gives you a shot, you It's like going on Johnny Carson. It's like, hey, look at me now. You know, you feel like, wow, I really made it in the world. Uh, It sounds weird, but when I was broke in, uh, I'm sorry, guys, I know this comes up in every episode. When I was living in a garage with no heating or plumbing. (laughs) I think like do the in america do they have these like plaques on these old buildings where famous people stayed once and stuff <laughs> i think we need to get one on that garage like assassin <laughs> lived here between, between such and such you know <laughs> sorry that was funny yeah it's gonna be in someone's garage but uh uh my buddy's garage no uh but yeah one time, uh, my landlord, I guess you would say, he had World Poker Tour on. I was watching Jonathan Little at, I think it was PCA. Back, and I just was watching him. I was like, this guy is the man, right? Look at this. He's in the Bahamas playing for millions of dollars. Man, I hope I can be like that one day. And he was super young, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's really cool to be in uh to be working with him so that was really fun that that, that feels like uh it, so. I, I remember watching you on the ept a uh, couple of times and thinking oh alex you know and you know now i'm working with you you know and i could that's where not all <laughs> <the time. laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it, it's so it's so weird for me to think about it because when i was on the european poker tour that was back when that was back when I was just on the war path, right? And it just feels like another person, right? So I almost forget, oh, yeah, you were on Sky Sports. They had a montage of all the times you busted the EPT. And they were talking about you quitting the tour and things like that. It's like, man, that happened to me. That didn't seem very nice, right? And then or when I busted the EPT final table... Uh, it was kind of like the cool thing back then to show how not into a hand you were. I mean, it still is, but I had the flu at that final table and I lost a flip and I literally was just 
falling asleep at the table, like not falling. I, I was not doing well, right? So when I busted, I didn't have much of a reaction because I felt really sick and they just didn't even show my bust out hand on the EPT final table. And they were like, and while we were at the break, Alex Fitzgerald busted, moving forward. So <laughs> I never really loved my EPT appearances, but uh, yeah, uh, no, things are going really good. Uh, I didn't get to go to my friend's wedding because uh, Long story short, I spent 11 hours on the tarmac. Uh, well, that's right. We've not had you on since that. I've yeah. almost... <laughs> well, there was a nor'easter coming through, which means a lot of snow. And we were supposed to leave at 3. 3 o'clock rolls around, and there is no snow, clear skies. And they announced... Sorry, gang, it's going to be a couple minutes because we're not properly catered. And we all sat there going, isn't there a storm coming through? 30 minutes later, we are sufficiently catered. There is three inches of snow on the ground. We sit in that plane for 11 hours. And at some point, legally, they did have to let us off for a little bit. So, like, we went out, ate terrible airport food, came back, right? And... At 1 a.m., they canceled the flight. They put me in a line that never fly United, by the way, gang. Uh, they put us in a line. I took a video of this line for my Facebook. Did you see that, Barry? Uh, yeah. It literally, it's like the beginning scene in Spaceballs when they're looking at the ship and it just goes <laughs> for two minutes. <laughs> uh, they put us in that line. The line was I, I don't even know if I'm making this up. It could have easily been like three quarters of a mile long. And each person in that line took 10, 20 minutes to process for a new flight. I stayed in that line for eight and a half hours, was up the entire night. And uh, they told me I had four hours left. And I just, it, I was on the phone and they were saying, we can't get you out for the next two days. And I went, well, that's really a big problem because uh, the wedding is happening at that time. And at a certain point, I just gave up. And because on the phone, they were saying, you'll get to the front, you won't get anything, right? Yeah. And I, so I go, I go back and I say, hey, my flight didn't take off. Uh, I need my bag, I wanna go home. And by the way, you guys have kept me at this airport for 28 hours now. <laughs> it was supposed to be a six hour flight. And, uh, they said, uh, we don't know where your bag is. I went, what do you mean you don't know where my bag is? They were like, we don't know. So if you could just hang out another five, six hours, we'll... Uh... Oh. <laughs> I, went, I mean, that I went, is... I, I was watching it, and I think I was being playful with Alex on Twitter, like messaging, laughing, or, you know, God, like how bad does he run and stuff in terms of flight sometimes, but... I remember seeing it like, you know, when I woke up again or something, it was like still going. I was like, right, it's not funny now. I mean, that is just brutal. It's uh, it's pretty funny once you get some distance from it. And uh, I, I've lodged a complaint with my credit card. I said I never took this flight. They never got me a flight. They never. Uh, and so that's the first uh, that's like the first time I've done that, like filed one of those. 
Because most of the time I understand the company, just running a company myself, I know things happen. And I can't imagine the logistics of running a company that big, but this was just absurd. Like they clearly, uh, they're referred to as nor'easters, these, uh, these storms, because they happen in the Northeast. You being in the Northeast, I would assume you'd have a policy for what happens when there is a nor'easter. Right. And they were like, no, we got four ticketing agents for, you know, Pharaoh's army back here, 2.7 million people. We'll get to you eventually. And yeah, anyway, long story short, they said, can you hang out here for five to six hours? I went, no, I'm going home. Uh, you're going to deliver that bag to me. They went, we can't deliver that bag. <laughs> Listen to me. You're, I know, I never get stern with service people, but I, I went, I said in no uncertain terms, I am getting that bag delivered. I've been here for 28 hours. And it took them two and a half days to find my bag and deliver it to me. And on day number one, and I said, we got your bag, we're delivering it to you. They never, I stayed at home the entire day. They never showed. <laughs> By the way, I'm pretty minimalist. I have, because... I read the four hour work week and it pointed out, you don't use more than like eight shirts anyway. And I went, oh yeah, that's true. I don't really. So I took all this stuff I wasn't using and I gave it to my friends or I gave it to Goodwill or somebody could use it, right? So most of my clothes were in that bag. I still had some clothes back home, but I'm, you know, I'm walking around in my New York Mets oversized t-shirt that I wear to bed, right? I'm not looking so hot, but it was so funny. It says, your package is on the way. It'll be delivered by yesterday at 1.30 p.m. <laughs> at that point, I was just thinking, this is funny. This is really funny. And, you know, long story short, it's not a big deal because I have my health. I have – it's one of those things. You get a few good nights sleep. The You're fine. I just can't imagine people that that really have real maladies in their life. That I, obviously that was unfortunate, but I'm not sick. Nothing, you know. No one died. Every, everybody's fine. And the the thing I felt really bad for was there were lots of elderly women in my line, or just a couple that I saw. And I was just thinking, how do you handle being up for 30-something hours or whatever it is at this point, right? And they couldn't go home. Like, they didn't have an apartment in Long Island City to go back to. Like, they were stuck in that airport. And I was just wondering, what, what happens to these people, right? And, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was very unfortunate, the whole thing. But I'm here. I'm healthy. I'm happy. Every, everything's fine. So... Why don't we get into some questions? Uh, let's see if we can knock out a few more than normal today. Yeah, well, the ones I do have, the first one I'm going to read out is an email in. It's just a short email from Andres, who we talked about on episode 200. So uh, he says, hello, guys. I'm really glad that you dedicated me your time in your 200th episode podcast. I've been in Krakow. This is the guy who was asking about traveling, you know, playing poker for a living and Uh, caught that or remember. 
He says, I've been in Krakow, good for girls and to party, but not for live poker. Now I'm in Morocco, currency leverage, good food, sunny and plenty of Spanish people. I also played live and cashed for $1,000 in a tournament here. I just bought Live 101 to be better at these games. I will spend one month home for Christmas. Thank you for your honest tips. All the best, Andres. So I said that was good to hear from him and keep us up to date on his travels if he gets up to any adventures. It's always good to hear from the listeners who are out there traveling the world playing poker and ended up in places like Morocco. Yeah, Andres, that's awesome. Uh, I, Poland's really nice too. I got I got to visit Poland at one point. Everybody's really nice, or at, at least in my limited experience, everybody was really kind to me. So I'm I'm glad you got to see it out there. And Morocco sounds like a fun journey too. Um, get soak it up, my friend, because as you get older, it becomes a lot harder as you get dependence and everything so see as much as you can now and you'll have no regrets yeah um okay the first question then is quite a long one so we're just going to pick through this and this one is from aki hi alex first of all i want to say thanks for all the content you have put out i have really liked your different webinars and quizzes on pokercoaching.com the way you think about the game in terms of data analysis and logic is very educational. There is, however, one point about your recent Five Ways to Destroy Your Tournament Results webinar that I would like to discuss. It's about the second point, betting the turn and river is a bluff. While I don't question the database fact that on average people only fold 28% to turn C-bets, I would like to point out that on average, the turn is not an ace, and I think people do fold much more when the turn is an ace, i.e. the statistic is not as valid when the turn is an ace. I mean, it does start to get quite scary for third pairs and under pairs when you double barrel an ace turn for like 50 to 75%. And as you said on the webinar, overbetting might also start folding out second pairs. And you can also continue barreling the river, although I do confess that it's near impossible to know if the opponent will fold enough. And then if you want to run from there, there's a few other bits that I could call out for him. This is a really, I, I really appreciate your question, Aki. And one of the things I try to teach is low-hanging fruit. Stress plays that pretty much anyone can do at any time with most player bases. I made a decision to go that route a few years ago. I always try to pretend some kid in the Philippines who doesn't have much is reading my stuff or seeing my stuff on YouTube for free. And I want to know it should work in most games. Because that guy might, I don't know what that guy's going through. And if he's going to be taking my advice seriously to kind of, hopefully, you can make a thousand, two thousand a month pretty easily in poker if you know what you're doing. And that could be a real big deal for a lot of people. A thousand USD per month, two thousand USD per month. So I always try to think of those people in my mind. And just, if you take care of those people, you're going to take care of anyone who's playing for fun. What you're discussing is, yes, okay, uh, you, you make a great point, which is let's, if I tell you 
on average, a guy opens 20% of the hands. You three bet him. He four bets ace-king, queens, kings, and aces. He flats you with everything else. On average, that guy's going to miss the board uh, 47% of the time. And if you see bet 75% of the pot, it needs to work 43% of the time. So, yeah, you're setting yourself up for a good you're setting yourself up for a good C-bet. Well, obviously, if he's calling you out a position with mostly high cards and the board comes with two high cards, he's not folding 47% of the time there. He might be folding 25% of the time there. So you make a really good point, which is the overall number doesn't take into account how people play each board, how often people hit each board. Now, you make a good point, which is, yeah, an ace, oftentimes, an ace is more likely in your double barreling range than it is in his calling range, especially if you believe this is the person who is going to fold ace high. Here's my problem with coaching that. One, I've been hearing about double barrel the ace high since I was 18 years old working as a security guard. If that strategy was really going to bring you riches, I'm pretty sure it would have done so by now. Number two, it's really inconsistent, okay? The most likely kicker for any pair on the board is going to be an ace. So you are butting up into two pair a lot of the time. Uh, more often, like if you see a king on the turn, guys are much more likely to fold like their king 10 offsuit on the flop and a king is still in your range so i'll follow through on a triple barrel a lot of the time versus more advanced competition but you even said it in yourself you even said it yourself which is it's really hard to know when people are folding they're I'm not saying there aren't times you shouldn't double barrel the A's. I'm saying it's very difficult for me to teach that. It's very hard to come up with a trigger that will help you that know who's going to fold and who's not going to. It's not, I can't, I can't separate by race. I can't separate by age. I can't separate by sex. Here's what I do now. If you want to learn what's really true, about any subject, read 10 books on the subject that all disagree with each other and just circle the things they all agree on because that's about all you're gonna be able to depend on. If you read anything in the social sciences or what do they call it? Neuroeconomics is what it was called back when I really started getting into it. Uh, Anything that Daniel Kahneman touched, that whole field of study, what you will find is human beings are extremely bad at consenting to losses. Every study in the world confirms this. Now, there are some people who are better than others. I can't tell you which one is which. Therefore, I'm not going to teach it to you. I assume you're playing bums. 99% of poker players can't really play the game that well. I teach you. Now, if the whole world started playing chess for money, 
but they weren't that good at chess, you should develop some badass opening strategies, just solid fundamentals. Now, if you're playing against really good players, you got to have middle game and end game down pat, right? Well, double barreling the ace, that's more like, that. that's getting to know who is going to fold to what over card. That's, that's the territory of Phil Gelfon, Doug Polk, those guys, right? That's, if you want to become one of the high stakes guys at 5'10", 10, 10, 25, 25-50, you're going to have to figure that out. I don't teach for that. Most of my students are playing 1-2, highest they play is 2-5. It's usually a bunch of guys that play for fun. And they play tournaments, and many people play tournaments for fun. Unless you're playing like a 10K in Vegas, you're, you're fine. Or you're playing like a 5K in Europe. The one thing I know that's money is getting people to fold to high cards. You People have too many high cards, and they fold them too much. That is the truth. Every database I look at confirms this. I teach most of the time for you guys to see bet big enough to fold high cards on boards where it's really likely he has high cards. And if he calls, he most likely has a pair. Okay? What pair does he have? Most likely it's one of the cards on the board because it's really hard to make a pocket pair. It's really easy to make one of those pairs with all the different kickers you can make com- combo-wise. Well, you look down at your hand. If you have a better pair than one of the pairs on that board, you keep betting for value. Or on average, better than one of the pairs on that board. You keep betting for value. If you don't have that, you should generally shut down if you're still learning this game. Because you still are in this wide world where everybody plays chess for money but doesn't know much about chess. It's a lot like it's a lot like a football game on an icy field. Nobody can really run away with the ball and run away with the game. It's going to come down to fundamentals. Who doesn't turn the ball over? Who doesn't screw it up? Nobody's really that good, ourselves included, and them, our opponents included, in most of these games. So it's mostly about not turning the ball over. In basics, you look down at your hand. If it beats most pairs, you keep betting after he calls the flop. If he calls the flop, you look down. It doesn't beat most of those pairs. You should shut down generally. There are turn cards where it's really likely someone will fold a pair. Let's say the board came 7-5-4. You see bet, and the guy from the big one called you. Very wide flatting range. Lots of pairs there. The turn's a six. It's a beautiful card to lean on because a seven doesn't feel good there, especially a five or a four doesn't feel good there. That's a good card to lean on. Uh, Let's say the flush comes in or a four flush comes in. Good cards to lean on, really likely to fold out pairs. Uh, Sometimes you'll just be playing with a guy who you know hates over cards. So let's take that seven, five, four board and you've been playing live with a guy in Laughlin, Nevada for three days, you know, you keep coming back to the game, you know, he's, you've seen him angrily fold eight, nine times on the turn. Well, there, when the ace comes, you got your king queen, but he called you out of the big blind. You know, he's got a lot of those seven fives and fours. 
go ahead and lean on him on the turn with the ace. I'm just saying in general, if you if you're not sure, if you're not really good at that, don't. Okay. If you're not really sure who the other guy is, don't do it. If this is very simple investing. You invest in what you know, and when you're not sure, you just lay off. That that will get you way further in poker than you could ever believe. I would not have a career if it weren't for that. Uh, anyway, sorry, that was that question's near and dear to my heart, so I had a bit more of an involved answer. What's the next question, Barry? Well, the, the side, the sort of add-on for that bit from... Uh, Aki, wasn't it? Yeah, from Aki as well. Is he says he doesn't have the uh, big enough database at the moment to back this up, but maybe you can check in your database if the full to turn C bet percentage is higher when the turn is an ace. I don't know if you can actually do this in Hold'em Manager too. I would be very interested in this statistic. That can be done on Hold'em Manager. I want to say it's higher. I don't think it's as high as you'd like. My guess is, look, I, this sucks, but uh, the way I put together my products is I run through a bunch of things in databases, and if it just stares out at me again and again and again and again, then I, if I'm fairly sure it's consistent in every game, then it makes the product. Because nobody's going to pay $100 for downloadable videos unless it works. They're not going to do it again, right? My guess is I don't remember. That's the honest thing. If I've looked that up, I know there's a way to do it. I'm almost, yes, there is. My guess is I looked it up. It didn't change the number that much. That would be my guess. My, I'm pretty sure it goes up though, it, it, to be fair to you. But I don't think it goes up to like, you know, if you do that and you see they're folding like 60, 70, percent of the time on the turn while out but if i remember correctly i don't think it goes that high right so my guess is i'm, I'm going to be frank with you i don't know if i've looked this up my guess is if years ago i looked it up it didn't say anything i just forgot about it i do think it goes up though i think you're right about that almost certainly okay and he says, finally, I would like to ask you about the Master Tournament Poker in One Class course. I have previously bought the How to Think Like a Poker Player, loved it by the way, and was wondering how much more information I will get from the Master Class. Although for $99, it does seem like great value, so I will probably buy it anyway. Kind regards, Aki. Aki, Master Tournament Poker in One Class is... Uh, by the way, that $99 deal is over, <laughs> but uh, it's it's pretty much everything that I have looked at every one of my students' databases that is willing to share it with me. And then I write down in my notebook conclusions I found in everything. If it correlates through every single database on every site I've looked at, and I, you know, I've consulted for Italian players, uh, for people on lottery sites in Canada, lottery sites in Sweden, Chinese sites, uh, obviously the dot-coms, obviously ACR. If it comes up in every single one of those databases, 
I assume it is a way homo sapiens play poker. I just, I think there is a way humans react to risk aversion to neuroeconomic choices. And I do believe it's quantifiable. I think they were doing it as early as the 1970s. Thinking Fast and Slow has a lot of stuff on this. If you want lighter reading, The Undoing Project is a very fun read about this. And it's all the plays that I do versus normal poker players that I assume are falling into the traps most homo sapiens fall into when they play poker. My new book will give you a lot of details on this as well. Master Tournament Poker in one class was... To give you a little of the behind the scenes of it, I sequestered myself in a tiny apartment in Newark for two weeks and worked on that. And that was, it was one of those weird things, Barry, where the thought came into my mind. I, I was watching to help myself think I would go to New Jersey Devils games because Hockey is just such a great sport to watch if you need to get your mind away from something because it's so fast. And I could walk to uh, the Prudential Center from my apartment. And I was sitting there and I wasn't thinking about anything. And the thought just came into my head, master tournament poker in one class. That's your product. That's going to change the game. That's going to change your life. It's going to it's going to move you from Newark to 10 minutes outside of Manhattan. That's the game. And what's it going to be about? It's about every conclusion you can say comes up in 99% of poker games, 98% of poker games. And I was just possessed for the next two weeks. I put everything else off. I didn't see my girlfriend for almost a week at a time. Didn't come out of my room. And when it was done, it was just done. It was, I, I, I loved it. I, I loved it. It's my highest selling product to date by a factor of two. It's, if not three by now. I have received more positive feedback on that webinar than almost any other in almost no returns. And there's always, whenever you publish one of those products, there's a lot of times people expect it to be one thing and it's another. And they just go like, look, you know, I, I respect what you're doing. It's just, it's not gonna help me. And you go, okay, fine, you process it, right? Uh, that's fine. Uh, even, I, I would get emails like, this was not what I was expecting, but it was so what I needed. Thank you so much. So that is that, is that product. And yeah, write, write me about that product. I'll get you on the newsletter. If it goes on sale again, I'll tell you about it okay well hopefully you bought it when it was 99 and we were just getting to that question um this one is from sarah and again this is just from a glance it looks like there's a few bits in here so we'll pick through and it says hi barry i would love to say thank you to you and alex for all you do and please keep doing it i've been embracing this new thing of big blind ante button ante but also trying to figure out how to think about this extra funky ante. Is my big blind just a big blind? Is my blind, big blind now a double big blind? Ante usually equals big blind. Should preflop raising sizes reflect differently? 
And then she rattles through like a list. Should I ask the table how they feel personally about the big blind? I haven't had a chance to play button ante yet, but would think of that as uh, dues paid or should you flat raise three bit more in order to protect that ante? When playing my last little series with the big blind ante, I found myself thinking about these questions a lot while in a hand when I wish I had been thinking more about the hand and not the ante questions. Thank you, Sarah. So it was basically everything and nothing about the big blind ante that you could possibly think of, but she feels when she's playing these games, she's maybe concentrating too much on the dynamics of that rather on the actual hand in question that she's playing. Hey, Sarah. Thank you for writing in. I have completely changed my opinion on the big blind Annie Barry once I played with it. And it's not that it speeds up the game. It's that it makes people play more passive. Because I realize, I, I didn't think of this, but every time you throw in an Annie every single hand, I still worry about it with the elderly because sometimes I just don't like scaring away anybody that was comfortable before. But... And they seem to have really not enjoyed it, some of them. But anyway, there's this weird thing when people throw out their Annie every hand, they feel like it's like a leaking boat, right? It's leaking chips. I got to do something. And then they go out of their way to play when they normally wouldn't play. And that makes my life harder because if you fold, I'm going to win more often. People in Atlantic City, I think it was where I was playing with it, Baltimore, they were just the big, they, they had the same M, they had the same sack size as they would when the Annie kicked in. They were just, they were playing like they had all day. And uh, look, the, the big thing, Sarah, is once the money's in the pot, it does not belong to you anymore. The reason you call more from the big blind as opposed to other positions is because the raise size is smaller to you. If somebody makes a 2.5X and you have to cold call that on the button, you have to put in 2.5X. So if there's 6X out there, you're risking 2.5X to win 6X when it comes back to, or excuse me, yeah, 6.5, whatever. Uh, if you have to call 1.5X, the odds are much better in your favor. Uh, because it'll be 1.5x to win 5.56, whatever's out there, right? Since the big blind, since the ante does not reduce the bet you have to call, it doesn't help your pot odds. That money's just out there and it's dead. It de you have to pretend it never belonged to you. It now belongs to the pot. What you're experiencing is what's the official term for it, Barry? Sunk cost fallacy. Some costs, I think, yeah. Yeah, yeah, just some costs. We feel like we have money in here. We have to do something about it when we're in the big blind. And really, the money belongs to the pot. If you guys want to get better at poker, first of all, I okay, long, long story short, if you, you want to make the most money in poker, that is much different than becoming the best player. I'm going to say that again. If you want to make the most money from poker, that is much different than becoming the best player. The number one thing that will decide your life in making money from poker is game selection. Number two, the thing that has educated me the most is learning about how humans handle losses. 
If you want to become better at poker, you must study that intimately. Now, how does this pertain to this? It's the big blind. In the big blind, people feel like now, I got a double big blind out there, even though only one X is being subtracted from what they got to call, right? They don't get to subtract the ante. So it's more or less, you're anteing the same amount as when you had to put one ninth out every single time, one tenth, maybe a hair more. It just happens to have been deducted from your stack at this point, but it doesn't affect the price. But people don't know that. <laughs> this is why I'm loving the big blind Annie, Barry. I would forex in like WS, uh, the WPT Atlantic City, and people would call me with like Jack Deuce offsuit out of the big blind because <laughs> I got two X out there. I'm essentially calling a min raise, right? Mm -hmm. If you're gonna call four X out of position with Jack Deuce offsuit, I Barry, I have to be the worst player on earth to not make that profitable. So I just kept, I didn't get a hand for like a day uh, in that Atlantic City tournament I went deep in, but I just kept opening the forex. Everybody to my left would grumble. They wouldn't three bet, they sure as hell wouldn't do that, right? And then it would come around to the big blind and he just, he or she would just call every single hand. So I got to play an eight X pot versus 50% of the hands in position and people were like how do you have chips i'm like dude i have no idea no yeah. clue <laughs> you know? like, that's the that's the thing by, by the way a little bit of a jag guys if you want to make money from poker you got to start thinking like a hustler how do you put people in bad spots most people when they show up at a poker game you ask them what's your goal what's your edge and they go it's like the goal is like my goal is to win the tournament. It's like, yeah, okay, what's your goal in life? My goal is to be rich. It's like that's not defined. You can't get to your goal if you just have a wish and it's so not clear, right? It's the same thing with a poker tournament. It's the same thing for with a cash game. Do you think Doyle Brunson walked into any game where he didn't know what his edge was? He knew where he could make his money. And it's the same thing when you go into these tournaments. And you know what most people are trying to do when they go to play these tournaments? They're trying to play perfect. Try to find where they're giving it up, where they're not paying attention. And right now, I probably shouldn't even be putting this on audio. I am dumbfounded by what people will call with out of the big blind when there's a big blind anti. You want to take advantage of it? You go ahead with that. Now, what should you be calling out of the big blind? I think you, people should, this, the hardest thing in the world to teach is how to three bet out of position, but I think there's a huge edge out of three betting out of position. Now, people highly overestimate what you need to do that. But second of all, if it's three X or under, you consider flatting from the big blind. If it's more than three X, you should, you should lay off, right? And even like 2.5x or below, be really liberal about what you call from the big line. 2.6x to 3x, I, I'd be way more careful than most guys are being. And if you're just calling 4x raises out of position, hoping to hit the pot, you are going to be exploited. Uh, I hope that helps, Sarah. Okay.
And since it is the last episode of 2018, we do have time for another question. Um, so we're going to wrap up with this one. And this one's from Ryan. Hello, I began playing more live poker this year, both tournaments and cash games. I have played online for many years. I, however, feel that I am changing my playing style when I play live. I think I lose some aggression and definitely don't bluff as much. I'm not sure if in some cases this is correct or just adjustments or that I'm tightening up. Any advice? I'm sorry, what was his name? I was thinking too much about the question. I spaced it. Ryan. Ryan, thank you for your question. I'm really glad you asked this question. I actually, just before we went on the air, I put together a little 20-minute video that I was going to post to my YouTube channel about live poker, just because I have Live Poker 101 on sale for two more days. Uh, on the 30th at midnight, it's instead of $800, what it's sold at for two years, it's going to be 100 That's the steepest discount I've ever done for any of my product. Everybody plays too tight live. The video is called the number one tip I would give live players, right? Uh, it's, it's not called that. It, it ends with the word right and a question mark. That, that's the title. But no, it's the number one tip I give live players. And the number one thing I see is this, okay? And I'm going to let that video do a lot of the explaining of it. And if you want to sign up for my newsletter, go to pokerheadrush.com. Top right, it's my butt ugly blog from back in the day, but you can sign up for the newsletter in the top right and you'll get this video for free. But my overall thing with live poker is everybody is too tight, myself included. Because online, I, I, for the first three years I played poker from age 15 to 18, I, I couldn't make a set. I always had my buy-ins, right? You know, I'd finish like six in these small tournaments that people held at their homes or fourth. I did okay in cash. I'd have to spend some money on something. Then I'd have a few losing sessions, but I wasn't going anywhere when I was a high schooler. Then I got on the internet. I was fearless, man. <laughs> Triple barrel bluffing. All right. I would see bed and a guy would, you know, sometimes uh, people gave, back in the old days of online poker, people gave away so much more with their timing, right? When they were secure, they would just call you right away. If they did time bank, they did oftentimes didn't have anything. And a guy would do that and I'd go, oh, you're getting three barrels now. And I would just go after people. And then when I got to live, it was harder because people, I don't know if I've ever played poker and not been made fun of for my style. People say stuff about my hair. They say stuff about my face. I've been called ugly. And not like 10 years ago. I'm talking about like in Baltimore. People were like, you have an ugly face. You're annoying. You're uh, like, you play like a horse's ass. Don't let the door hit your ass on the way out. It never ends. And let's be honest, most of us don't want to feel that way. I don't want to feel that way. It's been 12 years. I, I, I've been playing, I went pro in 2007. I'm still in this game. I still go deep in WPTs. My last live 
WPT final table or like major final table was two years ago. My first one was 10 years ago. My EPT final table was 10 years ago. I have WCOOP and SCOOP wins between that. I came within one spot or two spots of two F-tops wins, three F-tops wins, something like that. Final table, the Sunday million, all that stuff. Multiple million final tables. Multiple Sunday 500 final tables. I still get insecure every time I play live. Every time someone makes fun of me, it still hurts. And let's be honest, if you three bet three times in an orbit, you're going to hear from people. People don't like that. You watch poker, okay? You watch poker in the 90s. You watch those old, really funny ESPN <laughs> uh, episodes of the... Have you ever watched the old World Series, Barry, like in the 90s or like when Stu Unger was playing outside with the cards flying away? Yeah, you ever see that? Years ago, years ago, I went through YouTube and watched all those old videos. It's amazing, isn't it, right? Yeah. But it's uh, what's really amazing is how tight they were, right? Did you notice that when you watched the videos? Yeah, well, apart from Stu Unger. Yeah, yeah Stu Unger was... a. Funniest thing is Stu Unger would open to like 10x like over and over again and he was a genius. Then Jerry Yang did it. <laughs> Everybody was like, idiot. It's like, well, I want to be an idiot who wins the WCP main event. I'll, I'll sign up for that. But the, if you watch old poker, you'll notice, and if you read the old books by like TJ Cloutier and stuff like that, they'd be like, eights? That's a frisky open. Ace-jack suited, you animal. And that's kind of how people play. They a lot of folding. Tom McAvoy style was like that. Opening 12% of hands. And if you three bet, that might be queens, but most likely it was kings or aces. Then a few guys, most notably Gus Hansen, Bill Ivey, Phil Helmuth, Hawk Seed, they learned you could open more of these hands. Eric Seidel. Eric Seidel hid his whole cards at his first final tables in 2003 because he didn't want people seeing what he was opening because it was so powerful back then. People would just go, well, it's got to have eights or something. It's got to have something. I'll go ahead and fold. They would just pick up the blinds and annies all over. Well, everybody who's playing now grew up watching those guys. So guess what they do? They open everything. If you watch live poker anywhere in the world, an open from any position with any hand is A-OK -okay now. Back in the day, when I was playing live, if I opened Jack-9 suited from under the gun, I wouldn't stop hearing about it for a week. Now you see people open 6-4 suited under the gun and no one says a damn thing. You open whatever you want, people call with whatever they want, and then you go to the flop and you have fun. Well, there's a really obvious counter to this which is you three bet. They already learned this in Europe. That's why those uh, game theory optimal courses are so big there, is if you're playing also in like the dot coms at higher stakes and stuff, you can take advantage of people that three bet too much by opening a tighter range. And if you watch like Benny Spindler at his first final tables, you know, that guy, that guy lit up the live world. He's just three-betting everything. And now, uh, when I was 
I'm going to name drop my final table again. When I final table WPT Prague, a whopping seven, I couldn't get away with any three bet. They all knew the game. But they were three betting a little too much because they knew this stuff. So I had to tighten up what I opened. And then just four bet when I opened. I had to ride the lightning with eights. But in the United States, in Canada, in low stakes tournaments in Europe, anything up to 1,000 in Europe, anything up to 3.5K in the United States, people just open everything. So you should be three betting all the time. Why does nobody do it? Because if you three bet three times in an orbit, I'll tell you what happens. Everybody makes fun of you. Everybody goes in on you. I, I've heard everything about my weight. I've heard back when I was struggling with my weight, when I was depressed, I heard everything about my face. I heard about how awkward I was. And hold on a second. This is somebody calling me right now to tell me about it, but <laughs> they're like, I'm not done with you yet. <laughs> but uh, you just, you never hear the end of it. And nobody wants to go through that. So you start looking down. Let's say you got a queen 10 suited. You know you can three bet this. But you can also call and see a flop. Well, if you call and see a flop, it's good for like half a big blind. If you three bet it, it's good for like two, three big blinds. But you call. So you just give up those two big blinds. That was a big blind and a half, two and a half, whatever it is. Because it hurts. And that's really the issue. And it comes up with a lot of these things. I triple barrel bluff a lot when I play with higher six players. Now, does it feel good live to jam away my tournament? No, I did that at the Seminole Hard Rock Poker Open. I was fairly certain the guy would fold top pair. I jammed the river. He did not even think. He picked at me off. And I had to stand up, shake his hand, clap him on the back and say, very nice call. But the rest of the table is chortling at you and making fun of you and all that. And it hurts. But you gotta, it sounds really mean, but I repeat this. By the way, my new book is a lot about getting over this. The only way I've ever gotten over it, the thing that helped me the most, the anchoring thought was when I was helping my friends who were, uh, I was allowed to consult for a game insight. I got to do a little of that work for a while, uh, like a number of years ago. And they shared with me, 95% of players in any raked poker game are losing players. That's pretty much everywhere. And if you, sometimes it goes a little lower, most of the times not. If you look at, oh, what was that old site that used to, Chat used to record cash games. I can't even poker table ratings. Was that it? Poker. But, what was the poker table ratings? And then there was official. Po I think it was poker table ratings for the cash game. Yeah, and if you looked at their records, ninety-five percent of the people were losing, and that's that's just how the game goes. So one day, it just kind of hit me like a rock. Nineteen out of twenty of the guys I'm looking at here are losing poker players. I am not a losing poker player. 
many of the people listening here, you guys have moderate success, right? Like you won a tournament once and it hasn't gone that well for like a year or two, but you're, pro you're still net positive. Or if you are a loser, you're a very slight loss while you were learning, which by the way, you're supposed to lose while you're learning. I had a negative ROI in the first thousand tournaments I played on PokerStars. 19 out of 20 of these people are epic losers. Like they make it their day job to lose. Many of those people you see at the card table day in and day out, they're losing. Why would you care what they have to say? Of course, they're going to say something to you. It's just like your loser-ass family members when you start doing well for yourself. They want to drag you down to their level. You're going to have to be tougher. And the other thing that's really helped me, you got to know the fundamentals like the back of your hand. Like you have to get to the point where I could wake you up at 3 a.m. in the morning and scream a poker question at you and you know the answer. Once you get that, it becomes really hard to ignore your instincts at the poker table because you'll just have this voice in the back of your head that's saying like, hey, buddy, when you were working on this last week, you were saying three bet here. Now you want to call. What's going on? But until you have that voice, you're likely going to slide into the path of least embarrassment. And I believe that's the direct road to not being one of the 95% who are losers. A great thing to ask yourself, if 19 out of 20 of these guys are losers and my game does not look any different than theirs, what are the chances I'm not one of the losers? Best of luck to you, Ryan. Okay, and that is all we have time for this episode and indeed this year, 2018. Please keep your questions coming in. As I say, we will return at some point in the new year in January. Questions at oneouter.com on email, or you can tweet them or post them in the Facebook group, and we will get them read out to Alex on a future show. Alex, how can people get in touch with you for information on your other products? I believe you have a sale going on just now, your newsletter, etc. Yeah, guys, Live Poker 101 is on sale for about... 48 more hours, I guess. It goes off sale November 30th at midnight. Instead of its normal $800, it's discounted to $99. That's the steepest sale I've ever done on any one of my products. It is 20 hours of poker training. I, I'm, yeah, two hours times 10. Yep. It is every critical hand in a WSOP main event run, many critical hands from my WPT final table. Some hands from some side events just to warm up and some hands from one to cash all in a quiz format, all with an, it's very much training for someone who seriously wants to get it. Repetition is a great teacher. By the end of it, you're going to know my answer for almost any situation. And it's going to help you a lot at the tables. People really love this product. It's an excellent value. Check it out. Be sure to sign up for my newsletter at pokerheadrush.com. Go to my old blog site. In the top right corner, you can sign up for the newsletter. 
if you want to make sure you're getting these emails, which you should, because nine out of 10 of them are just content, free content, add alex at pokerheadrush.com to your contacts list in your email client. So if you signed up for that newsletter months ago and you haven't seen any of those emails, most likely what's happening is your email provider is putting it under the promotions tab or something. You're not seeing it. If you add me as one of your contacts, I will send you free poker training every single day. So I have a new video coming out. I just shot discussing live poker for about 20 minutes for free. The number one tip I give live poker players, I really go into the combinatorics of it. I bring out Flopzilla. I bring out the analytics. I think you would really enjoy it. To get that video, you do have to sign up for the newsletter. It will be on there. And uh, follow me on Twitter, at The Assassinato. And my YouTube is Assassinato Coaching. And thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, sorry that uh, Barry got a little busy in December. And uh, I'm a little busy as well. But we will be, the show will go on. We love it here. Yeah, look forward to seeing everyone. Not seeing. Uh, I will say that. Well, yeah, let's just keep it as seeing. Look forward to seeing everyone in uh, the new year um, with a new show. And keep your questions coming in. Everyone have a good Christmas. Watch tons of box sets and uh, not, not crappy old films, good old films. And uh, enjoy your time with your family, etc. And good luck to everyone if you're playing. And um, we'll see you all in January. Thanks for listening. Oh, keep your uh, entries for the giveaway as well, as Alex is now giving away in Dennis Peterson a book. Three copies of Alex's book to win as well. So tweet at oneouter.com, hashtag AskAlex, and why you deserve to win the book. And I'll pick three lucky winners, and we'll get those books to you. Alex, thanks for turning up all this year, providing all these answers and stuff. And I'm going to have a look through Alex's products and see what one I can uh, scrounge off them for a Christmas present. Um, <laughs> You're going to have all the new year sharper because I'll be in Vegas next year as well. I'm going to try and time it next year for when Alex is there as well so we can finally meet up in person. Sounds good. Okay. Thanks for listening, everyone. Cheers. Here comes Dennis F. and Peterson.